Hello and welcome to episode four of ESPN Scrum Reset. My name is Sam Bruce and I'm the associate editor of ESPN.com.au. Joined as ever by Christy Doran of Fox Sports and the 15 fame and a special guest this week for the first time this year. Uh, absolute doing of Australian rugby commentary, Greg Clark. Clarky, welcome aboard. Thanks very much, Sam. Hello, Christy. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. Plenty to talk about, uh, so let's get straight into it. Um, we'll come to the Wallabies 40-man training squad that was named on Sunday a little bit later, but of course, later on Sunday evening, we learned that Rob Penny had been giving given his marching orders by New South Wales Waratahs. Um, hardly surprising, gents, given what's gone down this year. And Clarkie, I'll, I'll come to you first of all. Um, we're at the Waratahs launch back in the middle of February there, about a week out from kickoff. And when the squad was being introduced there, I was just thinking there is no way this squad is going to be competitive. Um, Rob Penny here is on a hiding to nothing. So it has proved. Um, how do you see the organisation's role in all this and, and what's happened to Rob? Well, Sam, I think everyone realises that uh, it's not just a, a coaching uh, problem. It's been uh, an overall organisational problem uh, and I agree with you the writing was on the wall not at the not at the pre-season launch I think last year we saw that they went with the youth policy and I think at one stage they had about 20 20 roles in the in, in the squad and uh, it's a big ask for those guys not only to get through their initial season but to back it up year two is, is always the uh, the season you look at when a young guy uh, comes on to to the scene uh, because People now know what he's capable of, and then the opposition coaches will certainly do their homework on them. Um, succession planning has, you know, been miserable at uh, the New South Wales Waratahs for for some time. I was just waiting to talk to you, and you just look at some of the players that they've let go, and they haven't really replaced sufficiently. You know, you've got Kepu, you've got Latu, um, Foley and Phipps and Rona and Naya Ravoro and, and so it goes on. Um, now, why have the Brumbies and the Reds and, and the Rebels, and of course the Force are a different situation, but why have they been able to maintain their, their squads? They, they paid their money. The Waratahs tried to save money last year and they went with the youth policy. Uh, Rob Penny was was handed this squad, mind you. He had an opportunity, I guess, to to bolster it a bit this year, but he he, he didn't do so. Where Tim Rope as general manager controlling things, Tim's no longer there. Rob's no longer there now. The board, well, I think there'll be some changes coming up there from what I'm hearing and and what what I'm reading, but no, no succession planning what whatsoever, and they haven't been able to maintain what I'd call that middle tier player. Have, have a look at the UK, have a look at France, have a look at Curry Cup or, or some of the South African uh, super teams when they were around in our competition. Have a look at New, New Zealand. Now, you've got your internationals, you've got to blood some young players, but the guys that make up uh, the squad, the most important part is that middle tier. They're the guys like, you know, again, Tom Staniforth, for Will, Will Miller, M Michael Wells, Tom Robertson, and... Um, uh, you know, Mac Mason will throw in Cameron Clark, you know, these guys that have played 30, 40, 50, 60 super rugby games, they're the guys that you rely on. If you've only got the internationals, you've only got the 20 year olds, you know, that, that middle ground's not there. So uh, I, I just think it's been mismanagement as far as succession planning goes. And um, I, I feel for, for Rob Penny, 
it wasn't just the results this year. It was also last year. Remember, they didn't make the top three in a five-team Australian competition last year. So the writing's been on the wall for some time. Yeah, not good enough. We we understand that, Christy. Um, you spoke. Uh, we wrote a, a story uh, before the season kicked off that Penny was all set to be sacked um, this year or after the, the Super Rugby AU last year, unless he won that final game against the Rebels, which they did. Now, we fast forward now. Um, we're halfway through the season. He gets the sack, uh, yet Paul Dorn still talks about um, wanting to have continuity and cohesion in the group, thus promoting the assistance to the, the top job for the rest uh, of this season. Um, was there any point at all in letting Rob just finish out Super Rugby AU? I mean, what does this achieve now? Is there any chance that we'll see a little bit of that classic coach gets the axe and the team bounces back uh, the following weekend, or are they still just going to deteriorate through further to the end of the season? And, and what might the Crusaders do to this Waratahs team in, in Trans-Tasman Super Rugby? Well, Sammy, there's a few points to get to there, isn't there? But again, are they going to bounce back? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. They just simply don't have the talent. They've got injuries. They've got their few wallabies that they do have are out on the sidelines. Um, it's going to be it's a continuation of what we've seen. And Paul Dorn said yesterday, three record defeats from five matches. They're, they're the cold, hard facts. But um, it was an absolute fizzle, I thought, yesterday's uh, press conference with, with the CEO. The reality is... He said very little. He also uh, didn't really take much responsibility. Um, said, yes, we've all got to learn from it. But but what else? Uh, you know, Dan should be very disappointed by how it's been managed. And, and even the CEO doesn't really have, he's not a rugby person. He was brought in because he had a relationship with venues. Um, that's not necessarily what they need. They need people with real rugby intellect in there at the moment. And do they have that? I'm not so sure. Um, yeah, they're not going to be able to turn this around. Was there much point in getting rid of him now? What it does do is it says to the people, yes, we've actually taken action. We've, we've got rid of the coach and, and clearly he can't coach. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Whether or not it speeds up the ability to appoint a new coach, a new head coach later on for 22 and beyond, possibly. Whether or not entices more people to come back um, or indeed stay on. That would have also been factored into it. But if, if you look at who's there right now, Chris Whitaker, uh, everyone knows, is very much a New South Wales uh, Waratahs legend, a great of Australian rugby. Um, but is he a proven coach? Absolutely not. Is Jason Gilmore a proven coach? No, he's not. He, he got let go from the Reds a few years ago, got some kudos back by helping a, a very good young junior Wallaby side at the World Cup, under-20s World Cup in 2019. But... These guys are really up against it and they don't have much uh, rugby head coaching experience in it. and it's really going to be a tough one going forward for the rest of the year. So, Clarky, let's talk about then some potential coaching options. Um, Simon Cron, we've already learned overnight that he's ruled himself out um, having re-signed with, with Toyota Verblitz and perhaps having another year to work alongside Steve Hansen over there was a, was a big draw card for him. Um, Darren Coleman, my understanding is he's desperate to get back and, and really earn that Super Rugby coaching uh, opportunity. Whether that's going to be now, is he in the ring? Uh, Christy spoke with John Menenti yesterday, um, flagged his interest. Who's the ideal candidate for you that, number one, is available? 
Well, I like the, the names that, that you've mentioned. Can I go back one step further and follow on briefly from uh, what Christy had to say? Go back to when Andrew Hall was the CEO of the New South Wales of Waratahs. Now, Simon Cron, I don't know if he was promised the job, but we all thought that the, all he had to do was get through another year as, as assistant coach to Daryl Gibson, and, and he would take over the, the head coaching role. Then all of a sudden, uh, Andrew Hoare and Daryl Gibson uh, managed to you know, work out another deal, and Daryl Gibson, Gibson said, I'm going to stay on for another year. Simon Cron takes the job in, in Japan, and he's now working at Verblitz, Toyota Verblitz, uh, under the, the guidance of uh, Steve Hansen. Uh, and then Daryl Gibson uh, resigns anyway. So we've lost Cron, we've lost Gibson. And, and, and then um, Andrew Hoare does the deal with Rob Penny. And as we know, two or three days later, Andrew Hoare then, then resigns and takes over the, the, the Auckland Blues. So, so I, I feel for um, you know, Paul Dorn because he, he sort of came in, into it where he inherited a squad, he inherited a general manager of rugby in, in, in Tim Rapp, he inherited a, a coaching staff. So I, I think, uh, I'm not trying to say that uh, Paul Dorn is not, uh, doesn't have any um, questions to answer here, but I, I think going forward, he's now got an opportunity to, to really put his stamp on, on it. So good luck to, to him. John Manetti, you know, how many shoot, uh, shoot shield finals do you have to win before you get an opportunity at um, the, the Waratahs? Darren Coleman, what did he win? One or two? He was certainly in two or three finals as a coach. And Gordon last year, as we know, he took them from nowhere to uh, to the top. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, of promoting some of the some of these guys. You know, Tim Walsh, maybe. You know, is Tim now ready to to step up into a role. He was going to coach the the LA team with Stephen Hoyles in the MLR. Uh, then, of course, the the Olympics were cancelled last year or postponed, so he's had to stay on as the sevens coach for Australia. So, you know, he'll he'll put his name up there there as well. But it, it's time to start looking in our own backyard and and give some of these guys an opportunity to to come through. But yeah, for me, Manetti and Coleman, I'd be very happy if they were to take over. Christy, I know you've been speaking with with Cronny uh, overnight. Um, did he explain the situation further to you without probably giving away your article that's to come shortly? Um, what was the gist of your conversation? Oh, he was just disappointed that, you know, once again, timing uh, hasn't worked in his favour. He's itching to get, you know, as much as he's enjoying the experience working underneath Steve Hansen, who better to have a mentor um, Hanson hasn't necessarily been over there because of COVID, but they're bouncing ideas around all the time. And, and only yesterday they spoke around retention and, and uh, culture and other things. But um, if it wasn't for for, for the timing, he, he would definitely be taking this role, I dare say. He, he would be very keen for it. Um, his wife is, is itching for him to return, uh, itching to return to Manly where they were living beforehand. So... He, there's no bitterness there for Simon Cron. Um, it's just a matter of timing. And, and will he eventually come back? Does he consider himself Australian or as an Australian coach? He does because the bulk of pretty much all his coaching experience has been done uh, in Sydney with, you know, firstly leading Northern Suburbs to a, a shoot shield, a, a title there for the first time in 43 years, into the Sydney Rays, into Australian under-20s. Uh, the first time he was an assistant coach was there under Daryl Gibson uh, with the Waratahs. And, he said that there were their own challenges there, but um, yeah, clearly he enjoys head coaching. He learned from Wayne Smith following the 2018 season, was allowed to off his own bat, paid $6,000, wasn't 
his wife wasn't too too fond of him spending 6k to get up to japan to work with wayne smith for a week or two but great experience by learning underneath one of the best coaches that the game has seen and then also obviously working under steve hansen at the moment can we go back to uh, some other names as well sorry sam but uh you know we've got to mention michael checker who who clearly is uh mounting a campaign to try and you know, we get that Wallaby job back in time for the for, for the next World Cup, and um, so so check. We know what he did uh, in a couple of years uh, at the at the Waratahs. So he's out there. There's talk about uh, chasing Eddie Jones if he loses the job at, at England. I don't know if New South Wales Waratahs can afford Eddie Jones. Um, but then you, know, you just look around some of some of the other guys. We did bring back Scott Wisemantle and also Matt Taylor into the into the Wallaby coaching mix. But there are other Aussies, you know, doing the hard yards overseas. And uh, Andy Friend is at um, Connacht. You, you know, I just bumped in today to, to to Phil Blake, who's helping out at Sydney University. So he's Phil Blake, who can't get a gig in Australian rugby. Well, now he's helping out at Sydney University, a couple of training sessions a week, maybe. But you know, he, he's been at Wasp. He's been at Leicester. He coached the Western Force. He was a assistant coach of, of the Wallabies. So, you know, we we do have people out there so how far do you spread the net so we've got to just um you know try and get aussies back i think and the important thing with with michael checker before we move on is is roger davis was was actually there he was the chairman when check was appointed first of all at the end of 2012 so um could the stars align where davis you know picks up the pocket uh the the phone gets out the phone book and, and rings him and you know we all know that he's not doing a hell of a lot, whether or not um, whether or not he's allowed to get out to get to a preseason before the, uh, the the rugby league World Cup, where of course he's he's coaching Lebanon. That will be an interesting one, just to see whether or not the time frame. But given he knows the lay of the land so well, I wouldn't think that's too much of an issue. And there would be a lot of players that would be interested in coming back that would work underneath Michael Checker again. And I think that is. One of the really luring things about Michael Checker is that he would be able to bring back some nuts. Yeah, absolutely right. They've, uh, of course, got an extra $1 million to spend, the Waratahs, which they didn't do this year. So perhaps that coupled with Check. Um, alternatively, um, Clarkie, just one final one before we move on. How much do you think an appointment like Menenti or Coleman would resonate with that shoot shield community, which, let's face it, hasn't always uh, loved what New South Wales rugby um, and Australian rugby have done on a wider level? Yeah, I'm just reading comments uh, this week that uh, people in rugby heartland in Sydney in particular are demanding changes at, at board level. So that was uh, always going to happen. And, you know, it, it, New South Wales rugby ha- has to be strong, has to be strong. So you, you want you want a proven coach there that, that that knows New South Wales that, you know, lives and dies for uh, for, for the for the state. And I, I said on Twitter this week that I'm not too sure of the uh, the, the numbers during the COVID period, but um, in 2019, 2018, 55% of the viewing audience uh, in Australia came from New South Wales. So you have to have the Waratahs. If if not winning, you know, they, they've got to be certainly competitive, 35% from, from the Reds. So there's 90%. So you need, if not both of them, at least one of them going well, and at least the Reds are doing okay now at the moment. But I, but I, I think Rugby Heartland would um, be pretty excited if a, a Manetti or, or a Coleman 
uh, we're given the opportunity because it's sending out a great message, isn't it? You know, there's a young guy, look out for Norse this year, Zach Beer, who's who's coming up through the ranks. And, you know, there are obviously a lot of young coaches at, uh, at Shoot Shield level. So if, if, if Meneni or Coleman got the job, that's that's sending out a clear message to these young guys that there is a, a pathway there. You know, one day you might coach one of the famous clubs in world rugby, the New South Wales Waratahs. One of the great stories that that, uh, that John Menenti told me the other day when I spoke to him was that when Michael Checker returned, he asked Menenti, who was in his second year at Eastwood at the time, was give me 25 names um, from Shoot Shield that I can take, consider taking on a, on a trip to Argentina, a tour to Argentina. And, and in the end, Checker ended up taking 18 of those. And not all of them, but some of them kicks on, kick on to play for the Waratahs and become... As, as, as Clarky says, you know, that middle tier to even international tier of, of players. Um, you look at the, the, the Waratahs team of, of 2021, there's, there's only four players from Eastwood and Gordon who made up last year's Shoot Shield final. Um, where, where are these players coming from? And, and another great point was that he made was, you know, with the Waratahs moving to Daisyville in the recent couple of years, a lot more players are willing and wanting to be closer naturally to HQ and that's seeing them go to the Eastern clubs, perhaps Uni Uni as well, which have always had a strong side. But it means that you're going to have a very lopsided shoot shield comp. And what essentially, you know, if you have sides like West Harbour and, and Parramatta and Penrith and so forth that are struggling, who wants to go and, and watch those teams? Who wants to go and play for those teams? And that will just give a a stronger foothold for, for, you know, competitions like the NRL and the AFL to pick the best of the talent from the West, which is clearly important to get. Absolutely. All right, gents, let's move on to the other big story from Sunday. Of course, Dave Rennie naming a 40-man squad, I guess, for a training camp. Not a Wallaby squad in name and, and probably... Um, to get those guys together for um, as much a logistics weekend, I think he's described it as anything, get some ideas going, um, uniform measurements, et cetera. Uh, the big talking points, um, Christy, let's start with the hookers. Um, four of them, their names, but some big uh, omissions. We've got uh, Kyat two from The Force, uh, Steve Murphy, Dave Parecki, and uh, Lachlan Lonigan names. Um, certainly, uh, Lonigan to me was a massive shock. Um, I'm a big Kaitu fan from the Force. Love what he's been doing this year. But um, how did you see those four selections and equally the emissions? I love it when uh, you know you have these phone hookups and Zoom calls with the coach, and you get some people that ask questions first, and, and that's all sweet. And you know, the, the Canberra Times correspondent was was very much looking at Lockie Lonigan and how did he get in there. But the, the reality is, is how the heck did last year's three test hookers? that Dave Rennie used, not one of them gets selected for this. And he didn't want to call it a Wallaby squad, but it is essentially, it is, and it's 40 men. How did not one of them make it? So I had to ask, and I asked him three or four times, have they been dropped? And he said, well, if they're not picked in the in the June-July series against Japan, you can call them dropped. For the time being, they've been given a kick up the backside, you would imagine. And, and it probably comes, and it's a wake-up for all of them that, if your set piece is not working, if you're not doing the hard guards, you're not going to get picked. Um, Dave Rennie has always said that form is is what we're going to pick off. He's now, I think, cast the net wider. They really recognise the importance of having a hooker that 
can do all facets of the game very, very well. And at the moment, we haven't seen that since Stephen Moore, since Stephen Tatapi Pilota now. And we know that Pilota now struggled at times with his line out, um, but he was unbelievable around the field and, and particularly at the, at the scrum. Um, that, they were the, very much the interesting ones. He also said Alex Murphy had a bit of a Kiwi feel about him. He runs like a Kiwi. He's, he does have that Dane Coles aspect around him, but we all know that at the set piece, that's where he needs to make his massive improvements. Um, th- they were the interesting ones. Josh Kemeny, the back row, I think we've all been impressed by him. Um, also getting a call up. Good reward for Andy Muirhead, the Brumbies outside back. Uh, I don't think it will be too long before Matt Hanson gets a look in as well because he's very fleet-footed out wide, uh, a good goal kicker, and looks like he's got a good head on him too. Clarky, what stood out for you away from the hookers, perhaps? Um, uh, obviously, some some new blood in there, um, plenty of, of old blood, and the guys who impressed last year. Um, what was your one big takeaway from from this early squad? Well, um, if you're a Waratahs fan, and just I don't want to make the whole thing about the Waratahs, but when I when I looked at it, I looked at Josh Kemeny. He could not get a gig. With, with, with the Waratahs. What does a kid like that have to do? Cranbrook, first 15 captain, played schoolboys, played under 20s, was one of the stars of the Sydney University team as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old in, in, in the shoot shield. Goes down to, to the Rebels and, and lo and behold, um, Dave Rennie spots him and puts him in there. Um, what, what about um, Tim Anstey? Yeah, at the Western Force, could not get a start at, uh, at, at the Waratahs. So that's very, very disappointing. And, of course, Irai Simone, the Waratahs let him go as well. But no no other, apart from the hookers, no no real surprises for, uh, for, for me. Uh, basically, I think out of those uh, names that uh, Dave Rennie mentioned this week, we're going to see the Wallaby squad um, there, there might be an outsider, maybe one of the, one of the hookers might come back in into it. But um, no, they, they, he's picked the. Uh, I think the guys that are performing well, Tom Wright's, um, you know, on, on the injured list, um, and uh, he, he's been named in there. So he's given some of those guys an opportunity to follow on from where they were last year. Obviously, Vonavalo had had to be there. Uh, because of his uh, his raw talent, it's a shame he's going to be out of uh, Super Rugby AU for three or four matches because of injury. But no, I, I've got no complaints about it. And let's face it, it's a, it's a first squad, and yes, they'll be measured for their their polo shirts and you know their socks and shorts and everything else. Um, and they'll have some photos for for the media and all that sort of stuff. But um, the, the nitty gritty will be when they do take on France in uh, July. And I've got some. What about guys? Uh, let's look at the lock, shall we? Um, Sidaleki Tamani, um, of course, rejoined, well, moved to the force, coming back from from Europe for the first time in about seven years. Uh, a few weeks ago, he's been named in this squad. Um, we know that's uh, an area of concern for for Dave Rennie and the and the Aussie coaching staff. Um, how do you see the locks uh, progressing when, of course, we've got Isaac Ryder as well coming back to join the force as well uh, in a few weeks' time. Well, clearly, uh, with Sitalecki Tamani coming back, it, it adds a lot of uh, grunt and muscle, a bit more beef and experience. I think that's the most important thing, experience, an older head there, uh, someone who can just trudge the ball up and get over the advantage line. It's, you know, the Wallabies have miss, been missing that kind of tight five forward for some time now. Um, but also someone who's, who's good in the set piece, he's going to 
be strong uh, in the scrum as well. So, yeah, that, he's, he's a massive addition. We've already seen what he can do in Super Rugby, um, having learnt and spent a lot of time in France. Well, there's not many better places for, for type five forwards to prove their worth in the set piece. Um, what I found was interesting, you know, Isaac Rodder's not going to necessarily be thrown in against July, um, in the July series against France. I think he'll have to bide his time. I dare say he'll be in that Bledisloe team, but he's not going to just be parachuted back there. Um, but Rennie made a point to say that, um, you know, he's coming back on his, uh, you know, because he wants to play for the Wallabies. So I think he wants to return to Australia. He was cast aside pretty quickly from Brad Thorne. And from what I know, there's a lot more to that story than just, you know, him being selfish looking for money uh, from what I've been told. But he'll be another person that, that adds plenty to Australian rugby and the Wallabies. And it'll be great to have him back there um, because, you know, we've, we can see Trevor Hosea being a very, very good player for a long time to come. He's probably the most exciting of the young second rowers. But there's others out there like Angus Blythe and Darcy Swain, who's, who's earned a Wallabies call up to this training squad too. So they're a couple of the guys to look out for. Clarky, Seru Uru uh, has been playing predominantly for the Reds at lock, but was shifted to number eight on the weekend. Had a really strong first half, I thought. Now, the Wallabies had to get him uh, cleared on residency purposes before the World Rugby Law changes at the end of this year. So he's been named in this squad. Um, is he a guy that you genuinely think can factor maybe against France and then through the rugby championship as well? Oh, yeah, Re really enjoying watching the likes of... Um, of Eru uh, and and, uh, and Hosea and and Swain, you know, I think uh, at one stage there we were really worried about the locks and and you know we, we, Matt Phillip last year he was given an opportunity and gee didn't he take it before he headed to uh, to France to take up his contract with with, with Poe. So so you know for those of us who are really worried about the, the second row situation, um, there are some some great guys coming coming through in in good form. And if you can add uh, a Tamani there, even if he's on the bench or in the squad, he's such such a professional nowadays uh, because of his longevity and his experience. And uh, Rodder coming back, I think that um, you know our stocks are, are looking pretty good. And, and while we compare. Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Tiaroa. Let, let, let's face it that, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a competitive 15, if not 23, um, out of the five Australian teams nowadays. So so I'm quite excited about uh, what, what lies ahead, especially if uh, the French series does get underway and uh, we, we can have a, a good warm-up there and head into either... Uh, the full four-team rugby championship or another Tri-Nations, I, I think we're, we're, we're looking pretty good. Dave Rennie seemed um, reasonably loath to uh, apply the Gitto law, even with the tweets he made last year amid the COVID pandemic to perhaps bring two extra guys back that weren't at that 60 cap threshold. Now, um, we we're probably all thinking that that was going to be last year, uh, Rory Arnold or perhaps Sema Karevi, uh, Tolu Latu. Now, it seems... Unlikely that's going to happen again this year, and and Clarky, uh, particularly for Tolu Lado now. Yeah, I, I read uh, only only today that uh, he's had another motor accident and uh, alcohol what was involved. So that's um, sad news, really, because that's what uh, two strikes now for for uh, Tolu. So um, you know he's been playing well in France. He scored five tries in the season so far. So it's disappointing. To, to read uh, another misdemeanor off the field for him. We all know how much talent he has got. But yeah, maybe uh, maybe the Giddo Law, we don't need it now. I mean, I'd love to see uh, Samu um, 
you know, Radiki Samu back in, um, sorry, not, not, he could come back too, I suppose. <laughs> Age 56. A young, a, a young one. Yeah. Um, though, uh, Samu Karedi, I'd love to see him back in, in um, Australian rugby, obviously, but, you know, uh, maybe the good ghetto law is, is something that will be pushed aside now. Maybe we don't need it as much as we thought we did. Christy, any, any final thoughts on, on the squad that we haven't covered? Well, well I, one of the interesting, well, one of the things I found interesting that uh, Dave Rennie said towards the end of his, his press the other day was that we need to be brave with our selection. And it wasn't necessarily be brave as in some people saying, oh, bravery would be getting Israel Folau back. That's just ridiculous. But brave in the sense that we need to um, look at getting some younger guys, continue to develop them, but, but I think also give opportunities to people like Fraser McWright. And it might mean giving him a, a start perhaps ahead of Michael Hooper here and there. Not necessarily, we, we, we think Michael Hooper will still be captain this year, but we need to see the development of what Fraser McWright can do on the international stage. And if we'll say one thing about France, they are the most exciting team in, in, in rugby at the moment, but they're by far the finished product. And in part, that is because they're young and young players struggle to put games back together consistently over two, three weeks, but also over months and a year. So you need to have that experience to see how they're going to go. And at the moment, there weren't enough players in key positions that were given um, regular opportunities last year under Dave Rennie. I wonder whether or not we'll see that this year because McWright wasn't the only one. Noel Alessio, definitely another. Um, will we see Len Iketau get a little uh, an opportunity? I think we will. Uh, Rennie spoke about Jordan Pataia and knows that he's still got a lot to work on his game. Does he continue at outside centre or play on the wing or at fullback? There's there's a lot of... Um, I think that's the interesting thing is is how players develop this year and how many opportunities they they get. But regarding the Giddo law, I still think it will be here to stay for, for a while. I still think there will be a Rory Arnold kind of amendment. There's two or three players at this side that if you brought back in, could make a hell of a lot of difference to this Wallabies team. Yeah, another kind of hot and cold night for Jordi Patea on Saturday evening at ANZ Stadium. Uh, a couple of really nice breaks, but then a couple of equally pretty poor uh, occasions where the ball just meekly fumbled loose from his grip. Uh, guys, let's finish off with a look at uh, what happened up north over the weekend. Um, of course, the delayed game or the postponed game between France and Scotland, um, the Scots, um, who I've got a, a soft spot for, uh, great to see them finish with a win. The first time they've beaten both England and France away from home in the same year, I think since about 1927. So there's a stat for you. Um, they've clearly developed their game. Um, France could have kicked the ball out earlier, um, having won a turnover, didn't do so for some unknown reason and conceded a penalty there that gave the Scots a, a final chance. But um how do we sum up uh, the Six Nations, Clarkey? And, and as Eddie Jones, we know the RFU are reviewing his position, but um, certainly the media have come for him heavily up there. Uh, the journos um, have really, really gone to town on, on Eddie and, and some of his comments through the tournament. Is he under real pressure? Is there any way you can see that they'll sack him? Well, he's got to be under pressure because we all know how strong that uh, English um media core is and uh, it's not the first time that, that eddie jones has had a run-in with the with, with the media and been un, under pressure uh england very, very disappointing and and clearly uh you know he has to make changes to his squad as well because those players that he's been really loyal to 
um, just haven't been delivering for him. So England, the big di disappointment. Um, I was thrilled with uh, with Scotland as well. They're a team that I think we all uh, uh, love to see do well from time to time, the, the little brother. Um, but uh, France, to me, if they can just get some consistency, um, they're going to be a real threat, I think, especially in their, their home tournament at the Rugby World Cup in 2023. I, I love watching them. I, I just thought that uh, match against Wales a couple of weeks ago was was quite in, in, incredible. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's sort of just thinking that um, that Wales might, might have just stumbled across the the, uh, the, the the championship. But, you know, they, they were the most consistent team. So you've got to you've got to give them credit. And, um, you know, Wayne Pivak, the coach there has, has done a magnificent job for them. But, um, you know, when you look at um, Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere, down here we want law changes because it's such a competitive market. But up uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, even in COVID times when crowds really aren't allowed, they're saying, well, why do we have to change? We've got you know, record ratings. We've got record sponsorship. Uh, the teams are scoring tries. They're, they're very competitive games and, uh, and so on. So uh, they, they think that everything is very, very rosy. And, and I have to say that I enjoyed watching quite a bit of the, the Six Nations this year. So hopefully the Wallabies will be able to gain some consistency and uh, win more than they lose coming up. And, uh, and we can sort of, you know, get a little bit of a, a spur on towards 2023 as well. Christy, which of the, the Six Nations teams for you, mate, has, has the most upside leading into the next World Cup there, given on, on what we've seen over the last couple of months? I, I think the most upside has got to be England, doesn't it? They finished second last. Uh, so judging on that and where they are, the talent they've got, and I still think the coach that they have, I think they're still massive threat. Um, we know that what was interesting was that it was only six, eight months ago, definitely 12 months ago, that Wayne Pierback, the New Zealand coach who took over from Warren Gatland, was, you know, it was, it was, he, he was on, on last legs. If they had lost one or two more games during that Autumn Nations Cup, there's no way that Wayne, Wayne Pierback really remains there for much longer. Um, so, what we know is things can change pretty quickly. And they changed off the back of Wales getting very lucky with a couple of red cards against Ireland and then Scotland. I know that I say the word lucky and they may have won too, but the reality is they got a massive boost there by coming up against 14 men. Um, so, uh, you know, clearly a bit of luck always helps. Will the Wallabies get a bit of luck this year? You never know. But they need to start converting draws into wins and opportunities into points. And that's something that... Australian sides historically in the last 10 years have really seldom taken. Clarky, um, the Lions series has all but been confirmed for South Africa now. Quite incredibly, we, we thought we were a chance of stealing it out here. Um, then it was being shifted to the UK with, with three tests in, um, in London, uh, Cardiff and, uh, and Dublin. Um, now we see it's, it's basically um, South Africa or bust given What's happening over there, it's hard to see how that will work. But um, are we going to see a fairly even spread of players for the first time across this Lions squad? And and how much do you think some of England's struggles might affect some of their, their bigger stars, perhaps? Yeah, well, I, I, it is going to be interesting, isn't it, to see what Warren Gatlin does with, uh, with, with that. But surely there has to be more of an even spread. I mean, some of those Scottish players... Uh, definitely have to be re rewarded. You're going to have the, the the big five or six from uh, from Ireland again. Um, the, the the interesting thing is going to be going to be England just to see you know uh, how far down the pecking order 
uh, some of those players um, have, have dropped. But um, I'm looking forward to that series. It's, can they spread themselves right around South Africa? You know, or are they just going to be uh, based in in, in jo Joburg? It may not have the, you know, the the, the look of a normal uh, Lions series if they do have to go into a bubble in Joburg and maybe Pretoria as well. But um, yeah, looking forward to that one. But also, I'm looking forward to so French obviously they will be uh, could be at full strength if they decide to bring a full strength team to South Africa. I know Ireland, uh, David Nusifora the uh, director of rugby uh, for the Ireland Rugby Union is very keen to make sure that uh, the two test series against Fiji uh, happens in Fiji in, in, in July. Um, so th that'll be great. Uh, Italy coming down to uh, get to New Zealand. So uh, there's still plenty of uh, some good rugby to be seen while the lines are on. So it's going to be a massive month in, in July if it uh, all goes ahead ar around the world. Fingers crossed. The, the, the big one, Sammy, before we finish up, the, the two positions I'm so curious to see with what Warren Gatlin does is at 10, does he go with conservative or does he go with mercurial? And, and that's Finn Russell from Scotland can do, do it all. Does he go with Liam Williams at fullback or does he go with Stuart Hogg, the Scotland captain? Um, they're, they're, they're two decisions which will perhaps divide a nation or, uh, you know, the UK and Ireland, but they're two decisions that, um, if he does go with bold, uh, I think he'll win a lot of support. And, and, and I think it, you know, it would be great for rugby to have two really attacking players there in those key positions. But also, with, and I know Clark has just mentioned a couple of tests for Ireland and France, uh, Ireland and Fiji, what England and Eddie Jones does, because we know that in 2017, when the Lions series was last on, that is when um, Eddie Jones went to Argentina with a very understrength squad and ended up finding a couple of players of absolute gold. And I think of Tom Curry and I think of Sam Underhill. Unearth these sorts of players and they go on to be stars at the World Cup. I reckon Eddie Jones would be desperate to be able to, to know that Lions is going ahead so that he can blood some of those young guys like a Marcus Smith who plays for Harlequins, a, a really attacking 10. To, and it allows him, it almost gives him a free hit to just experiment. And that's why I think, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for all nations in this in this July period, including the Wallabies, to experiment and to be bold. Yeah, a couple of other names there. Uh, Austin Healy was particularly scathing in his assessment of Eddie's comments that uh, some fringe players um, gain more by, by being uh, in the wider squad and not actually playing a minute of Six Nations rugby than being back with their club sides. Uh, Austin certainly didn't miss on that one. Gents, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Clarky, uh, thanks for coming on today, mate. Um, we know you're still deeply connected within the, within the uh, not just the Australian rugby circles, but also around the world, mate. We, uh, we hope semi-retirement is, uh, is treating you well and uh, that golf handicap is, uh, is on the way down. The unfortunate thing is it's on the way up. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's a work in progress. It has been for 20 years. Uh, but no, thanks very much for your time, guys. I'm uh, really enjoying being a fan most weekends. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens uh, down, down the track. But uh, uh, I just have my fingers crossed for, uh, for Australian rugby. And uh, let's hope that um, we do see some interesting stuff happening in July and further in the year on the test scene. As we all do. Christy, mate, thank you as always. And uh, gents, have a great Easter.